All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Anger podcast. Andy, are we in the clear? We'll see. But <laughs> I, I, we, we should be. Um, as everybody probably knows from listening to this, I have a two-year-old, and she does not want to go to bed tonight. So I apologize if anybody hears a little child sound like she's getting murdered. She is not. She's just throwing a temper tantrum. <laughs> and I will try to mute my mic as fast as possible. So <laughs> a little pre-alert. I, I told Andy that he should be uh, he should be filming her episodes so that and obviously I'm no parent, but like filming it so when you're like 16 to 18, you use it as ammunition for when uh, you need some blackmail against your kid. <laughs> right. Like, remember how terrible you were when you were a toddler? Yeah, I didn't think so. But here's a reminder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You do what my parents did to me is like when you get in an argument and they're like, uh, they're like, oh, you used to do this all the time. You're like, no, I didn't. And you pull up the video and you're like, damn, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> no words will be spoken at that point. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, damn. All right. <laughs> You win again, parents. Like they always say, the parents are always right until they're not. I've never heard the parents part. I've always just heard women are always right. Oh, parents are always right too. But I think it's just mothers are always right. Yeah. Everything above. Yeah. Unless you're a man or a son, then you're never right. In most instances, <laughs> yes. Well, folks, welcome back to another episode. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Bailey Eigenbrett, and joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Full. And uh, Andy, we're not 10 minutes apart anymore. I know. We're, what, 20 hours? What is going on? Pretty much 20 hours, yeah. I uh, <laughs> I am coming to you guys live. Actually, that's just, I've always wanted to say that. I can't believe it took me 200 episodes to say, coming to you live. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm in uh, Toledo, Ben. Texas. I'm on the Texas side, so technically I'm not in Louisiana, where this Hobie BOS tournament's being hosted out of, which is Louisiana, but uh, yeah. I drove five hours Friday night, 13 and a half on Saturday, and got all the way to Shreveport. So 18 hours to Shreveport, about an hour down here to Toledo, where I'm staying at the Airbnb with my buddy Zach Hall, who it will be here in probably an hour. So if we're still running live, you might see him pop up in this window, like trying to be weird. Or if not, he'll just come, he'll come join us. Uh, Is but, it just you and Zach? Yeah, it's just me and Zach, and then we're gonna have like uh, we're have some people over this week probably to do a little crawfish boil and oh, have some beers. Yeah, on my way. Dude, my come way. down, come down. <laughs> we'll spend another week and we'll just go fish. Yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, got a full day of fit. Well, I shouldn't say a full day. I was basically kind of moving in for a few hours Sunday to the Airbnb, but uh, got a decent practice day in in terms of graphing on Sunday. About four hours in Monday, and then uh, only a couple hours tonight. But so far, so good. I mean, it's better weather than New York, so I have no complaints yet. But starting tomorrow until Friday, I have basically from dark to dark for practice, I actually have off. But the past two days, I've been working from down here so it's kind of only kind of limited me some practice which is fine yeah. uh, i need to get some work done anyways but <clears throat> that drive home monday is going to be brutal after five straight days on the water yeah it's it's gonna be 
it's going to be interesting driving home because I'm not going to do it while I work. So like, you know, knock on wood, if I make the top 10, I have to stay till like 6 PM here. So that would limit me to like leaving at like seven or eight o'clock. And yeah, so I don't know how far I'd get, uh, but I, I haven't thought too much about it. I don't want to think about it. I'd love to obviously make top 10 and hang around longer on Sunday, but, uh, I'm going to have to like, drive sunday night partially monday morning work most of monday and then drive home monday night maybe try to just trooper it and make it to like early tuesday morning and yeah, it sounds like out. you're not gonna be home until like wednesday bud yeah we'll see i i don't know yeah i last year at the classic when i fished the bass kayak championship i drove 21 straight hours from fort worth texas to new york which honestly, the last hour was dangerous because you're just like, hold, like you're gluing your eyes open to stay awake. Yeah, holy! That's when yeah. you gotta call like your lifeline, like your last person that you think will answer. Well, the first yeah. person that you hope will answer at yeah, no matter exactly. what time it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned a lesson that that day to, you know, while it might be possible go on the safe side of things and just pull over and take a nap for a while. While I made it alive, doesn't mean I should do it again. Probably so, not. Yeah. Probably no, not. No, I think I'll be okay. Honestly, I think I'll be all right. That's the nice part about working remote is I can kind of work forever. So I can stop at a you know at a Chick-fil-A for like five hours and get some work done. Take a nap in Chick-fil-A on Take a, a nap bench. On, on the Chick-fil-A table. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Covered in Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets <laughs> and yeah, the Lord's chicken. I the furthest I've driven, I want to say is from Asheville to Buffalo, and it was like Right under 12. I think it was like 11, but we hit like some weather and it got slow. And um, yeah, that was brutal. So I can't even imagine what 21 hours straight is like. You get pretty bored. Yeah. Yeah. It's 21 to one hour podcast. I don't know if I could listen to that many podcasts in a row. I didn't even put it in perspective like that. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I ran out of stuff to. I started like going way back in some podcasts, like to the, the OG days of like Bass Talk Live, like as far as I could go. And like started listening to like business podcasts, didn't even care what they were saying. I was just trying to stay awake. <laughs> Keep myself alive. Yeah, dude. I get called, I've been called crazy a few times because people see this Nissan Altima pull up with a Hobie Pro Anger 12 uh, strapped to the roof of it. And I'm flying 85 down the expressway. Like, <laughs> People like that hobie will ever go. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> going sixty-five. It's you know 60, 60 miles an hour more than I'll ever top on that thing. <laughs> Might as well give it wings. Yeah, I did. Sunday, I thought it was hilarious. Like there was there was a bunch of boats out on Toledo, and there's like maybe twelve boats I saw within within eyesight that were all graphing this main lake channel swings. And here I am with the pro angler doing this, doing the same thing, graphing along. <laughs> it's just like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is full swing early spring bass fishing here. And uh, that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. But I'm not going to divulge basically my practice so far, but um we're going to divulge just kind of our experience in early spring bass fishing 
uh, in terms of what tendencies, you know, to where to look, where we found success looking, you know, what baits, how we presented them, you know, how to make certain adjustments. And we're not saying that any of these are, you know, the right decisions, but it's stuff that we do and it just makes for good discussion. Um, and I'm more curious because you spent a lot of time on the Great Lakes, like right at ice out. So I'm kind of curious what those fish do. And it's a dude, it's a whole different beast down here. You know, I've, I've been down on like Lake Chickamauga in February and this is the furthest South I've been this time of year and bass fishing, I should say. Um, it's crazy how many people are still on the water that, that fish throughout the winter. Yeah. In New York, we're pretty much frozen or the guys that are getting out on boats are chasing Lake Trout or Perch. So like, and our water temps are mid thirties at most. Yeah, they've like given up on the bass. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess Andy, kick us off. Like for you as a Great Lakes smallmouth captain, like for spending so much time in that body of water, when you are first able to get out of that harbor, get the boat on the water, you know, what are the first things you look for? And then where are the first places you look to try to locate these fish? Well, the, the first thing that I'm going to do is go right to where I stopped catching them. So like their wintering grounds to see if they're there. Like the fall, you mean? Like, yeah, like late fall. So like when um, you, Jeff, and Destin went out, right? Like where those fish were is the first place I'm going to look right after ice out. And then from that wintering hole, I will look for the closest shoals or rock that I know like adjacent to that area into where I know they spawn and start kind of tracing them back into shore. And that's the first thing that you want to do is find know where the wintering hole is, first of all, and then understand where how those fish move up to the spawn. And then you can kind of just chase them by looking at contours. And with that, uh, Andy, I could take over for you. I, yeah. I, Andy's munchkins acting up. <laughs> No, she's she's having a she, so that noise you guys just heard in the background. So like that's the noise Andy makes when he loses a fish in a tournament, or when he's trying to skip docks when there's waves. That's the exact. No, no I'm just kidding, buddy. Um, but no, Andy, you make a good point there. Is like trying to take what you learn late fall, especially for us Northerners, where there's a period of time where we can't get on the ice. Um, you know, you're sorry, you cannot get you can't get on the water. Is what I'm saying. Um. Basically, you start from where they were, where you had found them, and that's a great starting point to where they might have gone because during the winter months, they're really not going to move much, um, especially speaking from a largemouth standpoint. They're not going to travel like a smallmouth does. Um, if you know there's certain lakes that, especially at that, like, say, a Toledo Bend here that has creek arms, there's a very good chance that they will live and die in that same creek arm their entire life, uh, which what I've noticed here is a lot of what I've been doing so far is like trying to graph for groups of them. Um, and just seeking advice from, Oh boy, she's screaming. <laughs> uh, I think you're probably going to be on mute for a little while. Too, every, every time I take it off the mute, it like reescalates, like, yeah. it like simmers <laughs> down. And then I unclick mute and it's just like, 
it's like that movie scene where you're like you go to talk and like some like that noise happens and you stop talking and it stops like, and you go to talk and it happens it's like yeah. this is what you're doing this is what i want you to do but uh, <laughs> yeah. no so uh, scott actually brings up a really good point and I, I apologize here bailey now that i'm unmuted and back into the conversation how deep it depends on the fishery right like so some finger lakes the fish might winter in 10 to 12 foot of water in the great lakes we have shallow fish right after ice out. It's just knowing where they are. And um, around Buffalo, I have a couple areas that I can catch them in like literally this deep of water, I feel like. But it's really close to a deep channel swing. So kind of similar to like what you're talking about in Toledo. But um, <clears throat> when I'm out in the wintering grounds, that water is usually 40 to 45 yeah, like 40 to 45 foot on Erie for the wintering smallmouth. Pretty deep. I think, I think that's a really good point, and that's something I'm trying to force myself into doing is because I'm such an offshore slash like-to-be-deep kind of guy. I like to be away from the bank. But one thing I have, that I've, I've learned, you know, from the South has helped with, um, and one thing I'd like to do more in the North is – when you're getting ice out, you always think like, you know, there it's too cold of water shallow, you know, that they, they won't be up there. But one thing to remember is they can be shallow and places to look for are places that are going to retain heat. So any leftover grass that's like somewhat healthy could retain heat, wood, metal docks. I think metal, I shouldn't say just metal, but metal, any sort of dock, any uh, rock rock especially anything where that especially when you have a day where there's sun if you can find like a, a shallow flat any sort of grass that has some deep water access to it where that might have like a vertical bank a vertical like drop where those fish will set up on the fall that is a great starting point to go look for those early spring fish that somewhere that might have warmer water or have uh somewhere that can retain heat for those fish to sit in throughout the winter i think that's a great starting point and um, I, it, it's an easier way to kind of. Oh boy! <laughs> well, for our MP3 viewers, again, <laughs> we apologize. Andy, it's your it's your daughter's first podcast, technically. <laughs> no, it's just it's it's a glorious thing being a parent. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> oh my gosh! No, it's okay. Um, but that's one thing I'm trying to force myself to be more open-minded about and in general is because I love to be offshore, but I need to remember that there is a shallow bite, especially for some bigger fish that might make a move shallow because sun does a lot for these fish, especially in the early spring, because, uh, you know, especially when you take into account and remember sun positioning with, with lakes, there are certain banks that are going to be considerably warmer than the others depending on how much sun like there's certain banks that are going to get several hours more sunlight than other banks and those banks will be warmer so that is a great way to almost basically write off water without covering it or seeing it you can basically go and see you know after a day on the water where's that sunlight hitting predominantly and you can basically take that sunlight to the angle and go on a map and be like, oh, and circle it in a waypoint at whatever you want to see what might be the more predominant or warmer waters that you should be covering. Uh, and that helps you cover water a lot faster, especially speaking from a kayak where I can't cover water as fast. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like I'm mine when I'm on mute. Like I can make hand signals, drink a beer, whatever. Like it's kind of funny, but uh, no, I I completely agree. So like, uh, Team Bass Pack here is asking if we fish slow. Um, yes, but once the water hits a certain degree, you can speed it up. But if we're talking right after ice out, you're creeping that big because the water's 36, 37, 38 degrees. Um, I don't know about you, Bailey, when the water is that cold. Counting um, rocks. Yeah, counting rocks. But, like, the best baits to go to is, like, a Ned Rig, a Tube Jig, and a really, really slowly fished underspin. Just because that flash yeah. is, is a little bit extra, but that's really about it. You know but my I, favorite early spring bait that I yeah. will not take out of my – I will not put it down because it works everywhere for smallmouth. For yeah. a large mouth, and it works all year round too. Yeah. Um, but I love, absolutely love creeping a small, like 2.8 to three and a quarter inch swim bait on a football head. And like when I mean count rocks, like you're literally slowly turning your reel handle and you're like one rock, <laughs> two rock, thunk, and then there's a fish there. But yeah, I, I like to, I always start fishing slow. Um, and then I tend to speed it up if I'm not getting bit just to kind of change it up a little bit. But, um, there's definitely times where you can fish fast, but I think one thing to remember too, is in the early spring, uh, and I'm not saying this is hundred percent, but I think it's okay to fish fast, but you also need to be moving slow. If that makes sense. So not covering as much water, but having a fast presentation. But I think if you're moving too fast, with how grouped up these early spring fish are, you can easily burn past them. So like um, a common thing would be like ripping a trap, right? So like you're making an extremely far cast of the trap in 40 degree water, but you're not burning the trap and you're yo-yoing it or slowly crawling it, just kind of shaking it out of the grass. It's almost like a state. You're almost fishing it kind of like a football jig. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, like it's just very subtle. So like you're yo-yoing it, but it you're maybe moving that bait maybe six inches at a time, and you're sitting there and counting four, five, six, seven seconds before you yo-yo it again. So you're yeah. fishing it essentially fast, but you're fishing it extremely slow. Yeah, and there's a, another good question from Timothy Holberg here. It says, uh Tactical Bassin talks about speed cranking in the winter, early spring. When do you do that versus slowing down? When uh, the water hits 50 degrees. That, because, yeah, those are Cali boys and Tennessee. Like, th- their temps don't get, like, down into the early, like, the, well, speaking from Northerners, it gets down to freezing, obviously, yeah. because we get ice. But 50 degrees, I would agree. You could even probably have an argument for like high forties, depending on if you have certain situations, which I was going to get to, like, if you have a good wind, you can definitely speed it up because mm-hmm. it's just going to activate those fish to chase, especially when you're talking about in the fall time, when their metabolisms, they make them say, Hey, you need, to, need eat. to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> they have like, yeah, they have like that same deal to an extent in the early spring is because they've been so cooped up and cold that when the temperatures start coming out, it'll get a little more sun. You get some wind, starts pushing bait around, bait are getting more lively. It gets them in a frenzy. And they'll mm-hmm. shoot. There's days where you can go and literally smash them on the same 20 foot square. Like you can have a 
small little boulder pile and you'll catch 80 fish off the one thing because there's so many fish there because they're grouped up from the winter and you can just catch them one after one after one. And it's just like, you can catch them, especially if you have certain conditions. I think if it's slack calm and it's sunny and you don't have any wind to your advantage, that's when you want to creep, like slowly drag a football jig, creep a swim bait, dead stick and Ned rig. Um, I'm not a big fan of throwing a drop shot in the early spring. I'm really not. I actually, I don't think I'll pick, like I'll drop shot a little bit for smallmouth on the Great Lakes, depending on where they're positioned. So like if I'm fishing current breaks and I need to get it pinpoint and drop it straight down on something, I will drop shot. But I I really don't pick up a drop shot much until July, until they're really deep and I have to give them that vertical presentation. Um, Yeah, dude, honestly, especially when it comes to inland lakes, um, and I mean, I don't, honestly don't really pick up a drop shot in the South. Not that I have much spirit experience down here, but especially when I'm talking like inland lakes for largemouth and stuff, I don't pick up a drop shot until like after spawn yeah. and that's it. Uh, I just think there's way better ways to catch them and there's way better ways to trigger bigger bites. I'm sure you can mm-hmm. definitely, you can catch them on a drop shot. I'm sure you can, but I think one, there's way more fun ways to catch them in the early spring leading up to spawn. And two, there's way better ways to catch them that'll trigger bigger bites than a drop shot. I think it's just. I I agree 100%. Like, I love drop shotting. It's one of my absolute favorite things to do. But I do it from, well, largemouth. I'll start doing it, like, the first or second week of June, like, after that first wave of fish has done spawning. Because they'll get in that post-spawn funk and you can catch them on a topwater in the morning. Um, which it's still kind of spring and it's like late spring at that point. But um, those post-spawn fish will eat a drop shot sometimes when they won't eat anything else. But really it's not until like July. Yeah, that's uh, That sounds like a juicy spot to go right there. Yeah, so Backyard Biggin said, uh, the first place I'm going on my lake, it's about two feet deep going into this cove. The entrance is 12 feet, always catch there. That is a great point to think about too, is like when you have lakes that have Greek arms, one thing I'm learning here in the South is like when to hit certain points or certain stretches, kind of like what to focus in on uh, during what times a year. Not saying I'm an expert in the South by any means, but um, when you have a place that has creek arms, the earlier in the spring, I mean, the more towards the main lake those fish are going to be concentrated uh, because tend to, creek arms tend to have the farther back you go, the more shallow water you're going to find meaning it's going to be colder, pushing those fish towards deeper water, hence the main lake. So those first swings or secondary points you have on main lake creek arms tend to be the best ones that you'll find early spring. Uh, That's what I found at Lake Chickamauga last year when there was a low 50 water temps was I would run through these creeks and I would start from the back of the creek, work my way out. And the first couple of creeks I got to, all my bites were coming on the first secondary point on each creek mouth and around that first opening where the current was ripping and creating a current break for the folks who don't know the Chickamauga is a TVA. So it's a river system current. Um, current is a lot easier to work with in my opinion um, than just a, your regular Lake. But I think uh, that's a great point is to know, like I think a lot of people get confused on what depths and it's, it's basically kind of relative to what Lake it is. So you can't get too hyper specific. Um, every lake is different 100% yeah and they're gonna be I think what's cool in the early spring is you can catch fish really deep 
you can catch fish in that mid column moving up in transition and you could find fish shell. Mm-hmm. I think the best place to have like to get on a killer bite is when you can find that transition spot where you have fish coming to you. And then later into that spring, you'll have fish coming to you and fish like from both directions, fish leaving a spawning flat and fish that are late uh, pre-spawners coming to you. That is when you can find a place where you have a mix of pre-spawn and post-spawn, you found yourself a juice hole because you're getting the best of both worlds. You're having all the fish coming to you, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah, I I do not. I, like, I don't know much about the South, unfortunately. I know uh, our Finger Lakes and then Great Lakes smallmouth. But uh, Team Bass Pack here, I know we have different opinions on this. You don't like the two-tap tungsten I just traps. can't bit, man. I, I love them. But to that point, um, I do... I do have both usually on because one day they'll eat one and then like in the morning they might be eating a straight rattling one as loud as you can be. And then all of a sudden they'll switch and they'll want that two tap. But usually the retrieve is a little bit different too. So it, it all depends. Um, man, a lot of good questions coming in. That's here. A, yeah, dude, that's a really good video topic. Honestly, we should go back to some of our early spring spots that we smashed them on this year. and. Um, because we caught them on a lipless. I think one of us should just throw a regular lipless, and then one of us should throw a two tap, and see if we find any differences. Because I've tried to do that to an extent, but you know me being impatient. If I'm gonna yeah. get bit on lipless, I'm not gonna change. Um, to like a two tap if I'm already getting bit in the regular. Uh, but I've done that before, where like it was every cast on just a regular striking red eye shad, and then I switch over to a two tap, and I don't get bit for ten casts. I go back to the regular one and it's just on like that. And then it just made me not a believer in the two tap. I will say, and you might get mad at me for saying this, but uh, I've caught them on Lake Erie ripping a two tap off the bottom yeah. versus just the regular one. Was, was it a red one? No. Chartreuse oh. sexy shed. Yeah, I, I believe that. So like Dave Lefebvre actually blew that up a couple of years ago, how he was catching them out there instead of fishing a blade bit, he was catching them on a trap doing the same deal. But um, what I found a lot of the times with the tungsten deal, with like the two tap or a, uh, or a TN 70, like disc knocker, they tend to eat that two tap or in a one knocker Excalibur, like XR 50 when it's crawl pattern better for whatever reason. Cause like, if you take like a little juice here, if you take the queen hammerhead tungsten jig, right? It's just tick, 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 tick. That two tap, if you get it to come through the right way in a red bait, it kind of gives that same crawfish tick, tick sound. It's loud as hell. Yeah. It's much louder than the hammerhead, but that when you take a straight rattle bait, it sounds like bait fish rattling through the water. If you want to get them fired up, I mean, that's yeah. a two tap. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, but I, I've never caught them on a shad pattern or bluegill pattern trap in the two tap. It's always in red. And then if I'm on a bluegill trap pattern, I catch them on the big loud rattling ones. So hmm. it, it's kind of funny how that works. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of catching them on a lipless, but yeah. uh, dude, honestly, I, oh crap, what's the name of them? So I've been swapping out. Like I, I love a striking red eye shad. Um, I like a I love a Berkeley war pig for if I'm gonna be yo-yoing. I think it's a way better rip trap than it is a straight reel. I'm not a big fan of straight reel and the war pig. 
Um, but I'm also a big fan of the Spro uh, Aruka. Aruka, yeah, Aruka. Aruka. Those things are loud as I, I've never caught one on the Spro, never. But they're I, loud as can be. I had 23 pounds on Lake Chickamauga on the Aruka Shad last year. Um, that one is pretty. It, it, all each of them had, definitely have their place, um, but. I've learned that swapping my favorite hook that I've learned to swap out to is that new owner, um, the like Z wire. Yeah. Yeah. That thing. Those are dope for trap hooks. Uh, I, I might even like them more than I do the STXs, which is mm. a bold statement, but I don't know. I got some playing around with that, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, team bass pack asks, do you like a jerk bait or does a jerk bait play good in the early spring? I will say it's not going to be in my first three baits I'm picking up, but but I will say that if anyone's watched Bassmaster Live or watched YouTube, especially in Texas lately, uh, a jerkbait plays amazing in the winter and the early spring, especially for vertical vertical cover. Um, and if you have a forward facing sonar, <laughs> it plays amazing. So I think it, it definitely will play. Uh, if you have some finicky bass, but I think there's a lot of other baits. In my personal opinion, there might be situations where jerk bait is the best bait for you to use, but I think there's a lot of other baits to go before it. That are, I, have, I have a thought on that as well. I find the jerk bait works better when the fish are relating to current. So in a reservoir situation or a river situation, on natural lakes, it's like 48 degrees is like the hot spot for a jerkbait to start kicking on. But yeah. like on the Niagara River, by me, I've caught them when the water was 37 on a jerkbait. But if I'll go to Lake Erie and fishing some of my shallow stuff that I know fish are there and I'm catching on like a Ned Rig or a swim bait, I can't get them to a jerkbait until the water hits 50. Mm-hmm. So it's every body of water is different so this comment from shining whiz tv uh says i usually find big and shallow early spring there are definitely windows especially when you have sun that those big girls will get up there and sun themselves especially if you can find small small shallow flats that have deep water access it doesn't really have to be a small flat but I tend to find them on smaller flats versus your biggest main lake flats that have deep water access. You'll find, especially if you go up there that late morning to early afternoon when there's high sun, they'll come up there. You'll see them roaming. Um, I don't think that it's a lot easier during those windows to catch bigger ones early spring. Shallow. I mean, like real shallow. Um, But Andy, let's go. Let's break down some of these best pre-spawn lures from Ryan MS 2004. Oh, gosh. What you, um, what's your top three? Just fire them off. Swim bait. Like a single swim bait, 3.3, 3.8 on a ball head. Um, last year, I really started liking the Fritz side. I found that to be really effective. Um, and then either a chatterbait or a trap, depending on if there's a grass. Like the type of grass there's growing. Those are my three best pre-spawn lures. I will agree on the swim bait. I will also agree on the first side. The first side is freaking juice. Um, and the third one, I'm trying to think here because I use so much in the early spring, but what I actually love to use. 
I might have to go with the hammerhead. Yeah. Especially when you got a warming trend and some sun. Mm-hmm. Those fish, especially the crawdads, will get out, out of the rocks too because they notice that sun's there and they will mash a football jig. Yeah. Pre-spawn is kind of fun. Like another low-key one too. Uh, I caught a couple on this one we went out last spring was a swing head with like a Venom Dream Craw or that type of bait on it. That can be really good. <laughs> so, but it's situational, right? There's a Dude, very specific see, spot for it. You don't see anybody throwing that anymore. I know. It's crazy how like disappeared off the planet Earth. Although, uh, in the last um, Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit on Big Sam, there was guys throwing the swing head. Yeah, I definitely don't have it rigged up right now. <laughs> so, like, um, I've had some insane days on that bait, and then I've had some really bad days where they won't even come within like five feet of it. Hmm. So, yeah, it's I'll tell you what's a really fun bait to throw um, in the early spring when you have Devil clear horse. Water. I'm saying when you have clear water, and well, you don't need grass, but. I just saw it sitting over here, and it reminded me of some fun days up in New York on Clearwater. It's a nice glide bait. That's fun because, one, they will crush that sucker in the spring, especially early spring when they're, they're, they will not scare from a, a big meal. But in Clearwater, if you don't catch them, they will show themselves. Mm-hmm. And now because, you know where they are. Exactly. Um, and that's obviously dependent on if you're going shallow or not. Um, Scott asked about blade baits. Uh, we'll definitely throw a blade bait early spring. 100%. Usually smallmouth, mostly. I've never caught too many largemouth on a blade, but smallmouth. Um, when that water hits 40 in the spring, I found that it's like the magic time for the blade to start going for me. I would love to fish a 25-acre lake right now, especially being on Toledo Bend in a kayak. <laughs> Yeah. It's like freaking huge, man. It's like I feel like it's twice the size of Champlain. It's probably not, but like in my mind, it's just like Yeah, when you're in a kayak on a massive body of water, it's cool, but also just mentally defeating, knowing you're like looking way a couple miles down the lake. Not a couple, like ten miles right. down the lake. You're like, well, that sucks. Hypothetically speaking. How long do you think it would take you to paddle north to south on Toledo Bend doing four and a half miles an hour in the Hobie straight? The amount of time it would take me in doing four and a half miles an hour straight, I would pass out. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many miles long it is, but like Sunday, I got in seven hours of graphing and I went almost 20 miles. I think. Yeah. So like if you're going at a good pace and you're not like slowing down too much, you can go a mile in about 15 minutes, which isn't horrible. Actually, you know what? If you're at a good pace, you could probably, I think I've done it in like 10, 10 to 12. So you can put on a, a good amount of miles. Um, but it's to go the full lake. I think I would need like two days. I honestly don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it was a hypothetical question. I wasn't expecting you to know the answer. I was just curious. How long is Canisius? Do you know? Seven? I believe it is seven and a quarter. Because I've gone the full length of that lake twice in a day. 
Yeah, so you did 14 miles. Yeah, I'm barely not getting through anything on Toledo. Yeah. <laughs> Mike yeah. at a quarter of the lake. How long is Toledo? Let's look it up. I, I believe it's 38 miles. No, it's got to be longer than that. I believe it's 78. It's like five miles. Yeah, so it's double and then <laughs> 10. Minus 10. <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, if you did 20 miles in seven hours, it would take you uh, about 22 and a half hours to get from north to south. Yeah, I'll pass. <laughs> That's a lot of lot of hamster riding, bud. Yeah, something like that. It's, like, it's thunder thigh season, people. We're back. So uh, uh, Team Bass Pack. Um, there's certain lakes that red plays really well on and it's lakes that have grass. And then if we have lakes that have rock, um, it tends to be more shad colored for whatever reason. Yeah. I, uh, I'm a believer in the red, but I hate throwing red. I'll yeah. be honest. I hate throwing it cause everyone's out there throwing a red trap. Uh, I love a chartreuse perch, chartreuse, sexy shad or a, not a big fan of honestly straight sexy shad. I like uh, what's the color? I can't remember the name. The red eye shad that's like a, it's a shad, but it's like a white and black back. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's like live shad or something like that. Is that yeah, it? It basically emulates a a owl wife, which is what we have for heavy forage in New York. That's one of my favorite colors too. Uh, but when there's a little bit of stain, like if it's clear, clear water, and I want to catch them on the trap, I'll catch them on that color. But if it's a little bit of stain to it, I like a chartreuse perch or um, a chartreuse sexy shad. Because mm-hmm. what I've noticed too is when our bass get real shallow on ice out, so do the perch. Yeah. Some perch will stay out if there's grass deeper. They'll stay in the grass. But there are schools of perch that will move shallow, especially that like that perch that's like that three to five inches, which is like a it's a freaking Twix bar for a largemouth. Um, especially some of our lakes that potentially somebody might get pissed off of me saying this cause I'm already too deep in it and I can't back out now that, uh, some of our lakes have gobies in them. The great, not just great lakes, but like, I mean, you're, if you're smart, you know, what lakes are connected to the great lakes. Those lakes have gobies and Erie canal system. Yeah. <laughs> and I've caught largemouth that spit up gobies in the kayak and that can also be a sleeper for big bites is kind of using your goby presentations in the early spring because when that sun comes out, the same thing I talked about earlier, like the crawfish getting all crazy, same thing goes for gobies. Mm-hmm. So like as soon as they feel any inkling of uh, warmth, all of a sudden you're like, you're like, oh, great, gobies are out. <laughs> <laughs> Backyard Biggins asks, what would you choose to target bigger bass? If I want to straight just try to catch everything four pounds and up and – not catch anything under that eight my fit mean it's simple but my favorite bait to throw is an eight inch mag drift especially because it's like i've watched it i've been in a spawning flat before with an eight inch mag draft where you'll throw the thing and you'll have like 32 pounders just come up to it and go eat like your whole rod like you're reeling you could feel the tail kick but your rush like don't 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 because all the two pounders are headbutting it and they can't get it in their mouth and then you'll have a four pounder, just eat it or you have a six. Like it's fun because it, it makes you like, unless they legitimately hit that hook, no smaller fish other than a be like beyond four pounds is going to eat that thing. Yeah. It's, it's fun. 
It's a fun, really fun. I already know what your bait's going to be to target bigger bass. What's that? Chatterbait. Oh, yeah, 100%. Andy's all about the chatterbug. Which, okay, I have to admit on live air that I believe. I love this. I love this, by the way. I've been been on you for a year about it. (laughs) I know. I know. We've we've talked about this on so many episodes, and I think the argument, I shouldn't say argument, the debate has finally come to a close. And it's all, I'm going to blame it all on a lose BB1. Remember last spring, I was like, it's your reel, dude. It's your reel is why you don't like this rod, because I casted it with that reel. And you're like, no, man, the reel's fine. I was like, no, it's the reel. <laughs> yeah, I had a... So I am a glass rod believer as of right now. With the But it's really dependent on, like, what reel you're using because if you don't have the right reel because the the reason i hated the the glass rod was you couldn't cast well I mean, it wasn't really that i mean you could cast but i've I mean, obviously cast a lot better now that i have that tatula sv on it but there wasn't a lot of feel and i think i think that was legitimately part of that reel because it threw off the balance of it mm-hmm. but now that i have that lighter sv different handles I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's in my mind. Maybe it's all in my head, but I can feel that chatterbait actually knock way better now than when I did have that different reel on. Cause I think it was a, it was a heavier reel. So I think that yeah. throws off the balance of the rod. I could be wrong, but basically what I'm saying is I've got, I put that rod to work recently and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> but that is not taking away from the fact that like, if I'm there's times when I want to take a chatterbait, and fish it around wood. Uh, not that you can't with a, a glass, but it's just not a great it's not option. Yeah. Yeah. And, or you want to skip it under docks or undercover, whatever it is. I do love that seven, five winch, which is a composite. That thing's a beast for that. Cause it's got like that, that rod action of a glass to like the parabolic, but has that graphite mix so that you can actually feel that thing. You know I, I wish, um, I don't wish when we fished our classic tournament last fall, because I was skipping docks with that glass rod you have with you down at Toledo. And um, I firmly believe I probably wouldn't have landed half of those largies I caught on the chatterbait if I didn't have the glass rod. Because it was literally down their throat. Every one of them. 24, was it 24 pounds again? Uh, 25. It was 25? Yeah. <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> it was twenty five four eight, I believe, or three eight. Hold on, because because first place had twenty six. We lost by like a pound. Yeah, they smashed him. Hold on, <laughs> hold this up. It's, it's honestly bothering me right now that I can't remember. <laughs> okay, yeah. hey, you know what? Really fast. While we're on this topic, here is a great post from John Sokup. About the so we we're talking about fishing banks that have a lot, the more sunlight on them. Oh, you're right, twenty four eight six. We are just twenty four twenty five. Yeah, sorry, it's almost. Yeah, I mean, put another shad in its mouth, and you're at twenty five. Yeah. But uh, uh, those are the fish we caught. Let's. Uh, here's a post from yeah. John Soak Up. That post is that is early spring bank fishing in a nutshell. Yep. The more the more water that's going to have longer sunlight on it, the warmer it's going to be. Meaning there's going to be more, not saying that there's more fish there, which there could be, 
more active fish will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you're looking for in the spring. But here's a good question too. And I, I'm actually very intrigued by this topic and what your answer is going to be. Um, so scent. I think scent always plays, especially for smallmouth. I think scent isn't as important in the early spring as it is in the summer. I'm going to go the exact opposite. Interesting. Explain. Because I will fish, say that also depends on how pressured the fishery is. Yeah, well, fish are more lethargic in the spring. So that extra bit of scent might actually persuade them to eat. When you're flipping, right, flipping grass, your bait is in there for one, two seconds, maybe three seconds at most, unless you're sitting there soaking it, counting to 10 before moving it. When you're flipping grass in the summer, you can catch them without scent because it's more reactionary. But when you're casting, like, think about it. The hammerhead is so good in the spring because it smells like coffee. It's scented. You put a max scent trailer on there, you're going to get way more bites than dragging a standard football jig with no scent on it. We tested it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and here's my point for saying summer, though. So you say fish are lethargic. I think if fish are more active, that means, especially when you're talking max scent, and if you have some current or water flow. I mean, there's obviously always natural water flow. The more active fish are, the more fish are going to cross paths with that scent trail, which is why I think that place, especially for smallmouth. Uh, but there is 100% a largemouth play for scent that people overlook. I just think in the early spring, after they've been cooped up, they can just kind of be so apt to biting a lot, especially because one, watercolor, Two, you know, they're basically feeding up to get ready to move shallow. They can be pretty active relatively. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think that in the early spring, I think there's something's moving. Depending, I, I don't know. I can go so many different ways on I just think that it's there not is no wrong answer. Yeah. I, don't, I think every answer is a right answer because it's all based on confidence. But um, smallmouth, yes, you need scent early season, 100%. How about this for a definitive answer, Scott? If you can get away and and include scent at all times, do it. Always do it. Always do it, especially if it's the scent you're confident in, 100%. Especially if it's max scent. Yes, (laughs) max scent, 100%. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, it's pretty crazy. We we had some... uh, some reviews and reports from um, Okeechobee fishing guides that said they were getting bit more on max scent than they were live shiners. That's just think about that. Well, I mean, how many people are floating live shiners on a hook? It obviously doesn't look natural in the water. Yeah. There's scales floating around and stuff, but max scent is just way more enticing for I can tell you, how many times probably on both my hands and toes counted like four times, how many times I've outfished live bait boats with artificials on Lake Erie. Andy and I have been spot locked fishing and fishing an exact spot, had a boat pull up on us, sit on top of our lines with crawfish with live bait. And Andy and I caught 25 pounds with our lines under his boat. <laughs> 
I, yeah, I mean, you can't really get a better honest review than that. <laughs> we were using Maxent. <laughs> but just like, it was just silly. Like, what happened that day? It was comical. Dude, I can't drop shot with anything else anymore. I can't. I have no confidence. Like, I put on something that doesn't have Maxent, and I'm just like, uh, I, I, I drop it down maybe 10 times, and I am back to Maxent. Yeah, for smallmouth, 100% max scent, but I do have some largemouth drop shot baits that I just have like insane confidence in that I know I will get bit on. I haven't quite found the perfect max scent drop shot worm for largemouth yet, but I have a feeling I know which one I want to use. I just haven't tried it. I think uh, the D worm is a good one. I was going to say the hit worm. Hit worm. That's a good one. Uh, Hitworm Magnum, I like in the summer. Um, but also, one thing I don't like the four, I, the flatworm, the four and a quarter inch, I do not like that for smallmouth. I like that for largemouth. Because there are some baits, like especially smaller drop shot baits, that largemouth will like, especially when they get tough in the summer. Um, so I'll soak like a, a four and a quarter inch flatworm with like a one aught cover shot or a two aught. They'll they'll munch that thing. I mean, you're not gonna get you you could get big bites on it, but like if you just want to catch fish, that's a decent little bait right there. Something small, and it fits tight in grass. You don't get as hung up as throwing like a seven inch worm. I shouldn't say hung up, but like you don't drag through the grass. Yeah. All right, Andy. uh, Team Bass Packs asking: Does sand plate good in pre spawn? It depends on what lake you're on, but. The answer is yes for me, but it's a certain water temp deal when it gets good, as always. Hey, Tim, real quick. Uh, Maxent Omnia, if you use our code SERIOUS, all uppercase, 15% off. And if you spend more than 50 bucks, you get free shipping. So um, if you're going to buy some Maxent, that's the place I would recommend going because you're going to get a little bit of a percentage off. I'll put that down in the comments for you folks. And uh, for people tuning in, especially on MP3, um, all of our discount codes are always in the show notes if you guys want to save some money at the some of our partners. So um, I had somebody ask if we had a Humminbird discount the other day. I was like, damn, I wish. And also wish they had product. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's the issue. Like, Mark, I believe Mark Menendez is going to be running a flasher on the bow of his boat at the St. John's because he doesn't have graphs. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So, like, even the Elite Series guys are struggling to get product. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really tough because, you know, Hummerbird makes an amazing product, which there, this is – it's just a matter of getting something from a shipping container overseas, and that's what's so frustrating about it is they have some awesome stuff, like literally that people can't get their hands on right now. And it's just, it's tough, but it is what it is. Unfortunately, it's not just the fishing industry right now. It's literally everything. Go to your grocery store and tell me if everything is on the shelves. Good luck. <laughs> like Supply and demand is terrible right now. But uh, to Scott's point here, let's get back to talking um, baits. No. Um, I actually do have sense that I apply myself. I'm not a big fan of it because if anything to me is oil based, fish can't actually consume that. If it's oil based, it's literally just a slick 
the only time this is a little bit of juice that I learned from Bobby Lane when I was down on Lake Tahoe uh, last year before ICAST, um, Bobby Lane was telling me because he had the what's it called? What's the bang? Is it bang? bang? Bang spray, yeah. Bang spray. And I asked him, like, where are you using that, Bobby? Like, because he's throwing it on stuff with Maxon. And he's like, what I'm doing is when I punch, I spray with the bang spray and it makes a slick, makes it slippery, lets baits get through the mat easier. That is the only time that a lot of pros will ever use stuff like that because it doesn't actually give off a scent. It's just an oil slick, which is what bait looks like. They have a slick to them. Um, and that's majority of the reason why those scents will work. Mm-hmm. But fish can't actually smell them or taste them like you could a max scent because a max scent is infused. Same thing with power bait. As soon as they eat power bait, they get a taste, they get a flavor. Max scent actually disperses that and leaves a scent trail. Which people get power bait and power bait max scent confused all the time. It's like uh here's a you know this is one of the cool things working in PR for peer fishing. I get to work with the engineers and see the behind the scenes, the inside scoops on this stuff and actually how legitimately the science and how it works. They basically say, so you walk into a house, your mom's making cookies. You know, when you walk in the door and you smell the cookies when it's 20 yards away from you, that's max scent. You get in that scent gets stronger as you get closer to it. Now I want a cookie. Yeah. (laughs) Until you finally get to the kitchen and eat a cookie and you taste how good it tastes. That's power bait. If that makes sense. Did I explain that? Okay. Yeah. Prima, um no like so some of the scents that i will use um i'll actually like infuse them in the baits right like a big one for me is goby oil which they don't make anymore for smallmouth. um and what i would do is i would take a little dip of it and i would put it in the bag of soft plastics that's not power bait or max set and leave it on the deck of my boat for an hour or two in the sun so it gets warm and gooey, and then I would bring them inside in a cool place, and it would absorb all that juice, and now you have a goby oil-infused bait. But you'd need a very salted bait to absorb it correctly because a salted bait is more porous than a non-salted bait. So like, if you have a non-salted bait infused in the plastic, it doesn't absorb the scent that you put on the bait as well as other ones. Oh, this comment from Anthony is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It, Max scent does not smell good when you smell it. No. Egg. It smells putrid. It's horrible. <laughs> it's god awful, especially when you use it all day and your hands smell like it. Dude, the, one, yeah. one of the days like I was using Max scent when we went out to dinner afterwards. Yeah, it was the day where we smashed him under that guy's boat because we, you and I went to yeah. get drinks and food after. Yeah, oh yeah. And I went to go eat that burger and I was like, oh god, <laughs> like, it smells so bad. Uh, but that's just a sign of that's why it works so dang good. Yeah, it's like a mix of goby and crawfish that have been left on a boil out in the hot Louisiana sun for like four days straight. And you take the lid off and you're like, oh, God, that's maxed out when it hits the sun for a couple hours. You want to know a top secret? Not really a top secret, but some something a really cool fact about power bait and maxent. They both have crawfish in it? No. Oh, okay. I have no idea what's in it. And that's part of my fact or my cool fact thing only three people in the world know the ingredients to power bait and maxent three wild that is the most top secret shit ever in fishing yeah 
right. I, I have tried. I've already tried. Trust me. I've I've given drinks to Mark Sexton. He will not tell me. <laughs> he, he's like, um, if I tell you, I have to kill you type deal. You can try, Anthony. Let me know Anthony, how it tastes. Yeah, Anthony, give us <laughs> give us a report. Give us a report back if you're alive. <laughs> he, Anthony's asking if it's if Max sends edible. Uh, I've yet to see anyone try to eat it. <laughs> I definitely don't recommend it. I think it says on the bag, "Do not consume." Yeah, <laughs> like, I would genuinely not be surprised if there was like grams of protein in it. <laughs> There's got to be something in that thing, man. It's just. It's crazy, but it's there's some pretty good articles out there. If you guys look back from last spring, I think Fishing Tackle Retailer has an article out where they talked about the Berkeley Bait Lab and what goes on and the science that they have that's like years ahead of people. It's pretty crazy, like what they have going on. Um, now, there's some people that don't like Berkeley, and that's fine, but when you want to talk about legitimate science behind what they're doing, it's pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I will lie though, I did strike gold recently, and I know I sent you a picture of it. I found some old Berkeley Havoc pit bosses, and mm. I was thrilled. And I, um, I think I might stop back there again tomorrow and see if they have more because I just keep buying them up for like three bucks a bag. Dude, <laughs> when I got in the boat with Hank Parker, we were flipping pit bosses. Like the yellow package ones. Yeah. And we ran out because we were catching a bunch of fish. And I was like, hey, Hank, you got any more pit bosses in the boat? He's like, yeah. He goes, open that compartment. And there should be some more. And I open it up. I open up. All I see is havoc packages of pit bosses. I look at Hank and I'm like, I won't tell anybody. And he goes, you better not. Because you will. He's like, you won't live much longer after you tell somebody that those are there. <laughs> Because everybody's gonna come grab them. Everyone's trying. Yeah, he's like somebody who's trying to steal those out of my boat if they realize I have them. Oh yeah, they were so good, and and I think that was like one of the only Berkeley baits that wasn't scented. I don't think. Yeah, they're I think scented. it was. It was literally like a. I don't know what exactly it was. It just had like a weird slick to it, and that was about it. Yeah, it didn't have power bait. I think that was. That was they had power bait, but it wasn't in their bass lineup yet because I think power bait. Their money makers, I think, is trout. Like trout makes it is like a multi million dollar business, I believe. Yeah. Well, at that time, chigger craws were out in the power bait line, like the seven inch ribbon tail worms and stuff. Um, oh nice. That's good stuff. <laughs> and easier with the jokes, man. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Max even, is even. better than my mother in law's cooking. <laughs> Uh, in my world, that's my mother's cooking. My mother-in-law's cooking is out of this world. Same. I yeah. um, <laughs> sorry, I, mom. <laughs> I always look forward to like mother-in-law meals because like big-time Italian family homemade sauce, like incredible. There's another good one from Nick Rose. Beautiful, <laughs> like that is so like the hockey gloves after they sat in your bag after sweaty Dude, in the this... smell resonates on your hands. I can this still is, smell it. <laughs> this is a social media post here. We need to go folks. We're going to put on social media. I think we'll do it tomorrow morning. Cause you guys are inspiring us right now. We're going to put up a max scent post and basically put what you think max scent uh, smells like. I know Berkeley's done it in the past, but you guys are putting out some fire answers right now. So <laughs> we need to do that. Yeah. Straight up. Totally smells like hockey gear. <laughs> it's so bad. It, it literally smells like your hands. 
like three days after hockey because you can never get the scent out like long enough. Mm-hmm. And by the time you play again, they stink again. Like my hands just started to stop smelling from that pond hockey tournament I played in Saturday. So like it was bad. <laughs> yeah. <there's... laughs> hockey isn't a uh a faint of nose. Sport. No. Uh, honestly, I'm fairly convinced because there's so many times where, like, Land, my fiance and I will be somewhere and she'll smell something. She goes, Oh my God, you smell that? And I'm like, I literally don't smell a thing. I legitimately think that my nostrils have been burned <laughs> from playing hockey nice. for 18 <laughs> years. Yeah. Like, dirty diaper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely a dirty diaper. Oh, this guy had a beer blow up in his bag. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, it is a hockey bag. I, I assuming he's talking about. Yeah, hockey bag or like Bates? Because if it's Bates, I'm actually intrigued. If you threw it, if you get a bass drunk, is he easier to catch? <laughs> <laughs> if if the answer is yes, I might have to pour a beer in the lake every day as re- like a starting off ritual, like six a.m. cracker open, pour it, in, <laughs> donate the nectar of the gods. <laughs> Dude, you find a giant on a bed and you just start pouring a beer out over her bed so she gets drunk. Brilliant. <laughs> or what was genius. the old... Yeah, genius. Oh, dude, it's, the, it's like the squirt gun like with the cleaner to clean off the pollen off the water. It's a squirt gun with like liquor and you're just yeah. getting the bass on the bed drunk. Well. There you go. Uh, we got Rich in the house tonight uh, asking if we tweaked our fantasy lineup since Thursday, and we probably would have, but we made a pact that what we choose on the shows is what we ride with. We ride or die with it. So yeah, I definitely would like to adjust the weight line, the weight prediction. I, I actually don't want to because I'm pretty sure they're all going to burn the fish, and we're going to see the weights drop significantly come day four. Because I, if you look in the photos, some of them kind of give up where they are. And you know they're all in the same lake together catching those fish. Do I genuinely, genuinely believe with that elite field, I think they're too smart to burn those fish. I think those guys know not to beat the crap out of them. It's not an open field where you have a bunch like 200 bronies that are going to go and catch 30, you know, 25 pound bags for four days and then wonder why the fish aren't there. Um, Rich is in California. What the hell are you doing in California? Good grief. You dropped from 78 to 70? Scott, why'd you go down? They're smashing them in practice right now. At least Biggins. Yeah, but uh, Max sent blow up in his trunk because of the heat. Super bad aftermath. I could see that being horrible. Wait, what? I have never. I've heard of Z-Man blowing up. So Max sent is combustible. Is that what he is saying? Wait, what? Dude, you're going to have to send us a message. I'm so intrigued right now because I've never heard of it. Oh, Zach Hall is here. Oh, boy. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm so intrigued right now. I wanted to know if there's pictures, too, because, like, I know you can leave Maxent out in the sun, and here's a little bit of juice for people. When you got max scent and you leave it out in the sun and it dries up a little bit, it'll make for a better flipping bait because it's not as soft but still having the infusion, the scent dispersion. I'm so curious. I'm so curious right now. You got to shoot us a message and tell us more info. Yeah. Working in Cali. I mean, hopefully, Rich, you can get some fishing in Cali. Maybe go experience the Delta 
I would like to experience the Delta and Clear Lake once in my life. I want to go to like Shasta. I want to fish like those spotted bass lakes out there that just have absurdly giant spots. Oh, there he is behind you. (laughs) (laughs) I told you he was going to do it. I called it. I called that you were going to do that on the intro. Yeah. I was expecting like butt cheeks or something, honestly. Like, yeah, he literally said he should have put his cheeks, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Zach Hall, everybody. (laughs) Speaking of spotted bass, I caught a two and a half pound spotted bass today. Hey, look at you. That's a big one for there. That's my PB spotted bass. That's a a picture. That's a pretty big spot for Toledo. Like, that's what I was saying. I was like, I didn't know there were spots in this thing. Yeah, there's a lot of like the pros when they fish there, like, ah. 12 inch spot rats because they just get like a limit for whenever you see like a texas tournament and somebody weighs in seven pounds it's usually five five spots yeah. they're all like a pound and a quarter yeah <laughs> anthony your comments are amazing <laughs> on right? fire absolute for the, fire for the mp3 listeners <laughs> anthony says i throw max scent baits in the front of my pockets of my shirt so when I get home from fishing, the wife tells me to get out. Then I go fishing again. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that's that's amazing. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, what else? Anthony, you got anything left for tonight? I mean, I know we didn't have a crazy long episode tonight, but uh, it was good to chit-chat about some early spring stuff, kind of what's been going on. All I know is I can't wait to get my boat in to get it serviced for the year and for the ice to leave our dang lakes because I am dying to set the hook into a green one or or brown one. But I have a feeling we're going to be waiting a little bit for Erie to open. So um, <laughs> that's what I was telling you. <laughs> our spiral staircase in our Airbnb. Let me see if I can actually like show you guys the web camera. Oh wait. I have the wrong camera on. I thought I had my webcam on. It's been my laptop camera this whole time. Oh. Hold on. Let me see if I can change this for folks. Genius. Fuck genius. 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 Hey, folks. It's just me. <laughs> no, uh, but uh, Team Bass Pack, that sounds absolutely awful. I hope he sold that vehicle. Um, I would have wanted to get rid of it, although I'm sure the trade-in value was much less. Hey, the angle's a little different there, bud. Uh, No, so it's actually not even connecting my... Huh. Oh, another big congrats. Uh, Thanks, Team Bass Pack, here again. Uh, Brandon Lester winning his first blue trophy, something we didn't touch on. Next year. It's about time he won one. He's been so close so many times. Every year we're like, Brandon Lester's finally going to win one. Now, here's the question, right? Does Brandon's does Brandon Lester's career at this point take off? Because we already know he's a dynamite fisherman, right? Now that he's finally won a tournament, does he free up just a little bit more and start winning more? Maybe. He almost won the Classic at Gunnersville. I shouldn't say almost. He was on top ten at least. Yeah, I don't know. I hope so. He's he's pretty dang good. Yeah, he's so. a good guy too, from what we've seen of him when we had him on. So, yeah, and congrats to Michael Neal winning Sam Rayburn. 
had like a what was it 21 pounds on the last day yeah scoping them scoping yeah. them on deep drains so smart and then the uh, Toyota series actually I have the results here I didn't even check them yet Toyota I'm excited to watch the BPT tomorrow actually because they moved to Caney Creek which I guess has just absolute giants in it you fish Caney Creek right in Louisiana no I never had no my dad fished there a long time ago and caught like a nine pounder nine pounder 30 years 40 years ago Damn. Yeah. So by that math, it should be thirty-five pounds. The what? It should, by that math, if it was thirty-year-old fish, nine pounds, it should be like a forty-pounder. I'm just being funny. I'm just being funny. The uh, Toyota series on Lake Okeechobee, the winner was Robert. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, but he won sixty-six grand for a Toyota series. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. But all right, Andy, you got anything else left for the folks? No, but Anthony is on fire with comments. Apparently, Coons? that's wild. I'm gonna have to. What? <laughs> oh, Andy, are you talking about his glasses? Yeah, weird glasses. <laughs> I was like, what is he talking about? Middle aged man looking like the Green Lantern. That's hilarious. No, but I did get some DT8s in today. And they look fire. That's all I have to say. If you can get your hands on some, I think they're going to fit a niche where a lot of crankbaits overpower or under deliver in that depth range. So I'm pretty excited to throw those around. And they're the size of a DT6. Yeah, make sure you're checking Omnia for that. Yeah, 15% off. (laughs) Selfless plugs. Yes. It's nice. Like... um. Uh, the free shipping over $50, and then you don't have to wait two weeks for your baits to get to you. So it is nice. Pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Andy, I think uh, we're going to wrap it up here. I'm going to get some sleep tomorrow. Yeah, actually get some sleep. I haven't been doing well with that in the past few weeks, honestly. Um, But yeah, we got three full days of practice. Well, I shouldn't say full days. Friday's not really a full day. You have to be off the water at like what two? I haven't checked the time, but yeah, it's early in the evening sometime. Yeah, so we don't get a full day, but tournament Saturday, Sunday, we shall see how it goes. If folks want to tune in to Serious Angler Instagram, Facebook page, or my personal page, you guys can kind of keep up with some updates, and we'll try to do. We have a podcast Thursday, or is that up in the air? Yeah. So (laughs) before we tune out here. Dummy me, but if you have back-to-back fantasy shows and we want to do Thursday night, you have to wait until the tournament is over to put in your fantasy fishing for the next tournament. So we cannot have our fantasy fishing show for the Harris chain, where we will probably shoot for Monday night next week. So there will not be a a brutal day for you Monday. Yes. <laughs> but the show shall go on. Um, <laughs> so shall there, go on. <laughs> there will be no Thursday night live. Um, and uh, we'll see. We'll look into trying to do a Monday night live next week with that fantasy stuff. Whether I'm a zombie or not, we'll make it happen. But want to keep folks informed. But Andy, if you have nothing else, we're going to wrap it up right here. Good. All right. Yeah. What did you have something? No, I was saying, yeah. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah.
All right, folks, we appreciate all you guys joining in. Good show tonight. A lot of engagement. We always appreciate Thank that. You. And uh, we will see you folks on Friday. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Searsanga fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.